what's better than two professionals talking Flyers hockey? Two amateurs. This is Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now put the kids to bed and crank it up. Did we just become best friends? Yep. It's the end of the world. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. Mark Giannone and Dan Silver with you as always. Dan, what's going on, bud? Well, nothing good, man. We'll get to it, but this is like... I I feel like in the past we've said it's been like rock bottom in terms of like Flyers, Twitter, and people's thoughts on the team, but I, I'm hard-pressed to think of another time that it's been this bad. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's almost... I mean, at this point, it's become unwatchable. To be completely honest, the game last night against Colorado, I was there for the first period, saw how they were playing. They only left the first period down one, but I just saw how they were playing. I saw how things were going. Didn't even bother watching period two and three. Turned on Better Call Saul because I have to catch up on that. And that's how I occupied the rest of my night and just you know, kept tabs on what was going on in the game on Twitter. Because at this point, I can't sit there and waste my time. If they're not going to give effort, if they're going to play the way they've been playing, which is just atrocious, I'm not going to sit there and invest my time in into whatever product they they want to put on the ice that night. I don't blame you. Is that was better call Saul? Um, oh, I... My 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 friends are like way ahead because they're in, it's already in season four. So I just started season three. It's a slow build up in seasons one and two, but you gotta just invest the time and the payoff's starting to come because things are starting to take a uh, an entertaining turn for the show. Okay, yeah, I love Breaking Bad, but I have not started Better Call Saul yet, so I'll put that on the list. I've got a long list, no, but uh, I'm but sure you're a smart do. man. I mean, it was um, you know. I had my own three-on-three playoff roller hockey game last night because no one really showed up for the team. So it, it felt like NHL overtime for the whole game. It was kind of fun, though. We were playing like a possession game. And then I got home and watched the second and third periods. And it was basically exactly what I've come to expect from this team. Um, uninspired hockey from a bunch of very talented players who – wait until they get behind by three goals and then start playing the way that they're capable of. And Nolan Patrick touched on that in a quote today, but it's, it just seems like it's been going on forever. And I think the problem is this season, even though they still have this goalie situation, that's pretty bad and they've got some holes. I think most people had this sense that this was the year that this team was really going to take a step forward. And the top guys, Couturier and Giroux and Voracek, were going to replicate their performance last season, but we were going to get greatly improved performances from Ivan Provorov, Shane Gostis-Bear, Nolan Patrick, Travis Konechny, Oscar Lindblom, James and Reams like being added. And for whatever reason they basically almost look like a worse version of their team last season. And I think a lot of people are, are rightly looking at the head coach and the GM and trying to figure out what in the world is going on with this team. I, I mean, I, I don't know. And that's, that's the craziest thing to me is you watch the games and you literally try to wrap your mind around what, 
I like I just don't understand how year after year under under this coach they come out flat in the first period. It seems like on a game in and game out basis, that seems to be the most consistent part of this team is that they're going to start first periods slow. I think they're like nine games into the season now. Eight of those nine games, the other the opposing team has scored first. I mean, and it's. Just, it's the same problems over and over, just slow, sluggish, sloppy play. And you just say you stand there or you sit there and you, you're pulling your hair out of your head. And I don't know what the adjustment is that needs to be made because it's from year from last year to this year, they are worse than than they were. And and it's it's mind boggling to me because as bad as it was at points last season, you thought, okay, and you already said it. You said, okay. These are growing pains with a young team. Next year, they'll be better. We'll have more experience. We have a little more money to play with. The only acquisition that they really made this offseason, of any note, Van Riemsdyk, has been injured. Not Through no fault of his own, things happen in this sport. You know, players get hurt. But the team around him, since he's been gone, has done nothing to pick up the slack. And... It, it, I don't, dude. I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm at a loss. I am out of, like, I am out of ideas of what this team can do to turn it around. And I see people on Twitter all the time that just say something needs to change. A change needs, a change needs to come. Something needs to be done. And I don't know what that change can be outside. Honestly, outside of either firing the coach, which we said last week isn't probably isn't going to happen. Outside of that, the only other thing that can be done is a trade and I don't know what's out there. I don't know who the Flyers are willing to trade, but I don't think they're even willing to make that move because that's such a knee jerk reaction that we know Ron Hextall is against. So this is, I I'm afraid that this is just what they have and more stupid comments from the coach. These, these comments that he said after the devil's game blew my mind. I have never heard uh, I've never heard somebody say like say a statement so dumb with such conviction after the game when he basically said that yeah you know we played the same type of defense in this game against the Devils as they did the two previous games those two previous games that they lost what was it six to three to Columbus and had a five to two lead against the Panthers and lost the lead and had to win in a shootout. And the scariest part about it for me is, is I believe that he believes that when he says stuff like that. I honestly think that that's him looking at the game and saying, yeah, uh, everything seems good here. We are playing very well right now. Oh, we just gave up a three goal lead. We're going to overtime. That's okay. Yeah, we played a good game. Nothing phases this guy, and he tries to feed you so much garbage and lies and nobody believes it. But. He just, you know, he, he keeps saying it. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. So let's talk about those comments first. And I, right, they, they lost to Columbus 6-3. to In the previous game, they were up 5-3 against the Panthers, blew that lead, and ended up winning in a shootout 6-5. So basically they gave up 11 goals in two games. And then they come back and they play arguably their best game of the season, beating the Devils 5-2. to um, at the Farg, and he comes out after the game, and you're right, he basically said that the team had played pretty much the same type of defense that they had in the pre- previous two games, except with the exception of they hadn't given up any big uh, defensive breakdowns. 
And so I don't, I disagree with you. I don't think that Hacksaw is that dumb that he actually thinks that. And I read uh, Charlie O'Connor, who does such a great job covering the Flyers over at The Athletic. He kind of wrote a column almost just about those quotes from Hackstall and said his take on it was Hackstall is basically trying to play the good cop and trying to feed into the team's confidence and make them feel better about things and kind of help with their self-esteem so that he basically wanted, didn't want panic alarms to go off right basically just didn't you know wanted to keep the status quo we just want a good game didn't want to say anything to rock the boat and then of course they come out and and they they put up another mediocre inconsistent game against the avalanche where they start slowly and we'll get to some of the quotes today from ron hextall but uh you mentioned the bad starts and so i wanted to read one tweet last night from uh my buddy mark naples actually one of my best friends growing up and now he lives near me in dc he uh he he put out there mm-hmm. in three plus years of the hackstall era the flyers are 27th in first period goals scored and tied for 26th in first period goal differential that's that's three years of the dave hackstall area era and the flyers are in the bottom five in the entire league in first period performance and it's not a surprise, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, there's been a lot of debates over the last few weeks about what is the Flyers' problem? Is it these players who just, I don't know, for whatever reason, these players, it's just not the right mix, and, you know, we can't get it done. And to me, a lot of these problems that we're seeing this year all come back to coaching, and this is the same thing. How is a coach not getting his team mentally and or physically prepared to, to come out and start the game strong, why is it that, that this team, you know, uh, waits until they're down 3 nothing until they start playing with a sense of urgency? And, you know, listen, a lot of it comes down to the fact that it is easier to change one person than to change a number of people. I mean, if, if you want to argue that this is on the players and that quite simply – for the last however many years, this team's leadership can't get it done and they take things for granted and they start the season off slow and it's all on the players. What are you going to do? Are you going to trade Giroux, Voracek, Couturier, Gostas, Bear? Like, no, you can't do that. So, you know, it's, it's at the point where I think we've just all seen the same stuff over and over and over again with this team, with the bad starts and the inconsistency that you just get you get so tired of hearing me. You basically get immune to, to this commentary. It's like I compare it to Andy Reed today. Some of the quotes from Hextall just, he kept saying, we got to get better over and over again. We got to get better. And just reminded me of Andy Reed, the, the, the Eagles would go out and they'd, you know, lose whatever game after game back in the Andy Reed era, uh, bad clock management. And Reed would come out after the game and, you know, we got to look in the mirror. We got to be better. And that was actually the first time that I'd seen Hextall kind of, say the same type of stuff but yeah i mean i think most people right now are just at a loss for for what's going on with this team i mean to go back to what you said about charlie o'connor's uh piece in the athletic when i mean it makes sense i i guess i guess haxwell is probably not that dumb to believe such a statement but you know it makes sense i guess that he's just trying to you know have the you know 
boost morale a bit with the team. But I, I can't even imagine that if I'm a player and I see the way that, you know, my team is losing games, a statement like that isn't going to do anything for me because I'm going to say, no, I like, I get what he's doing, but no, that doesn't do anything. And maybe, you know, maybe at, at some point the coach, somebody, the general manager, somebody has to step up and have, they have to rock the boat a little bit. They have to do something a little outlandish. Somebody's got to get called out. A player has to call on another player. The coach has to just say things for what they are for once in the press conferences. Yeah, we played terrible today. This guy could have did this. This guy could have did this because what they're doing isn't working. And I think at this point, like, there's going to be the there's going to be some optimistic people maybe that see a game like the game against the Devils and say, look, this team has the capability of playing good. You know, they they just have to find their group, and I I don't buy that because I went back in 2006, 2007. This was the worst year of the Flyers in history, basically. 22, 48, and 12. They finished that season. In December, they beat the defending Stanley Cup champion Carolina Hurricanes five to two on the road. So my point is you're going to have these – every bad team is at one point or another going to have these anomaly games where they play well. They play above – they play up to the competition. Maybe the competition they're playing plays down to them a little bit. But there's going to be an upset. There's going to be some surprises in every season. Look, if, if there's people out there that believe that what we saw on Saturday against the Devils is what this team really is and they just have to find their way – I think you're just being delusional because the evidence is there that this is just not a good hockey team. You could just look at the stats. You could look at the top players on this team that aren't producing enough. Your best defenseman, Ivan Provorov, your be- I'll give it I'll give it another one. Your best two defensemen. Ivan Provorov, Shane Gossespierre. Provorov's a minus six. Gossespierre's a minus five. They're combined for seven points total. Only one goal between the two of them. And these are supposed to be your workhorse guys on the blue line. You saw what Provorov did last year, how great he was offensively. And he's been garbage. The whole team has been garbage. And you you, you take it to coaching. And I honestly, I think at this point, it's it's a split. Yes, part of it's coaching, but part of it, a big part of it, is also these players because they're still professionals. We're not talking high school kids. We're not talking juniors where the coach needs to motivate them. At this point, if you are a professional and you, they see what they're doing game in and game out, and they say it after games, we have to put a full 60 minutes together. We have to come out hot. Well, if you see it, if you know you're doing it, then why don't you do the opposite? If you know you're coming out slow, why do you need your head coach to put a fire under your ass to come out with some jam, to quote Peter LaViolette? Why does it take the coach to do that? You're professionals. You're adult men that shouldn't need somebody else to tell you to get it going. When the lights come on, when you hit the ice, you should know as a professional athlete that it's time to go. Not when you're down 5-2 to two in the third period and you're like, oh, wow, we might lose this game. Let's pick it up a little bit. No. Why can't they just come out 
with some fire, with some motivation. Uh, Is it to the point where they just don't believe anything that the coach is saying and they don't want to play for him? Well, then that's on the general manager to realize that these players aren't responding to this guy for one reason or another. And it's on the general manager to evaluate that and say, look, if they're not going to play hard for this guy, I need to get somebody else in here. Because it's still early enough in the season to turn this thing around. But as it stands right now, if they leave this roster with this coach, we're going to have these same problems game after game, month after month. And this team will not make the playoffs. They will take the step back when the general manager preached all offseason that this was the year they take a step forward. Well, I'm not seeing it, and I don't believe that this is a playoff team anymore. Coming into this season, yeah, I believed it. But as it is right now, I do not see this team making the playoffs. And if they, if they don't do that, I don't know what happens from the general manager standpoint as far as the coach goes. But something has to change, and something has to t- change quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I'd go so far as to say that they're not a, a playoff team. I mean, I still feel they have too much talent not to make the playoffs. But, you know, let us I want to look at some of these quotes because – I found the, the part of Charlie's article. So I want to go over some of the quotes from Hextall after the good victory against the Devils on Saturday. And then I want to talk about Hextall's quotes today. Mm-hmm. So this is from one of Charlie O'Connor's articles. He's a great writer over at theathletic.com. Definitely worth the, uh, it's like three bucks a month to subscribe. But so after, after the Devils game, Hextall came out and said, I thought today's effort defensively was pretty close to what we've done the last three games. It was just a little bit cleaner. Not a big difference there. You know, I thought we completed the game. We didn't give up. The last couple games, we've been pretty darn good. Actually, the last three games, we've been pretty darn good defensively. But we've given up one or two of those grade-A opportunities that come off individual players or individual mistakes. So, Charlie said, uh, you know, basically said that his theory was that Hackstall is going with the positive reinforcement strategy, emphasizing the good plays rather than all the mistakes with the aim of boosting the confidence of his players. This is reading from Charlie's article. The Flyers' recent defensive play may not have truly warranted positivity, but if going to that well, as opposed to browbeating individual players for their errors, gets the team back on track from a mental standpoint, it won't matter how strange the quote sounded Saturday afternoon. So fast forward to the game against the avalanche where they make the same defensive mistakes and it clearly you know if it, if that was hextall's purpose it didn't it didn't you know pay off so now uh hextall had some quotes from a, a uh, press availability today and so this is from dave isaac's uh, article he's a writer for the courier post he said i'm a pretty patient guy but things need to start getting better. You look at our team on paper, and we've got a pretty good team, but paper doesn't mean a whole lot. We need to play better. And uh, he said, I hope the players are frustrated because if they're not, we've got a problem. We've got a problem if they don't care, and they do care, so we know that. They're frustrated. We're frustrated. We need to handle it the right way and channel it the right way and get back to playing the way we're capable of playing. You look at our team on paper and we've got a pretty good team, but paper doesn't mean a whole lot. We need to play better. So some pretty pointed words from Ron Hextall today. 
And, you know, I saw some folks on Twitter saying, you know, been there, done that. We've heard this a million times. It feels a little bit different to me. And there was a rumor going around early this week. Uh, Nick Kiprios had mentioned on the air, I think either on Hockey Night, I think on Hockey Night in Canada, that he'd heard that ownership was putting a little bit of pressure on Ron Hextall, that this team had to perform better. And this was before the Avalanche game, that the team had to perform better and that he was hearing that maybe Dave Hextall's job might be in jeopardy. Now, you know, listen, I don't believe most of the things I hear people saying about the Flyers, but, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, I could see the ownership, maybe something from the ownership uh, leaking out a little bit more than from Hextall because Hextall doesn't link anything. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then after that quote, they go out and they get pummeled by the avalanche. So I think that there are some signs that, that Hextall's job may be in jeopardy. Uh, you know, to go back to what you were saying about can't the players just come out and, and why can't, why is it on the coach? Why is it not on the players to, to come out and, and they're professionals and they're, they're men and they're supposed to uh, be able to compete from the start. It's not to me. It's not always about coming out with a, the high effort level. Like it's in hockey, effort doesn't necessarily equate to success because if you're everyone is skating around like a chicken with their head cut off, then it's it's not going to pan out. I mean, you're going to be making mistakes. You can't. No one would claim that Ivan Provorov is not trying hard this year. In fact, I would say that perhaps he's trying a little bit too hard, and he's in his own head. And I feel like. That happens a lot of times with a lot of guys on this team. And to me, it's the job of the head coach to figure out what's going on there, try and settle some of these players down, and also, you know, get your systems going. Because either the Flyers are not executing Dave Hackstall's system, or they are executing his system, but his system does not work. It's, it's one of those two things, because they just don't look very good right now. They're not creating a lot of... Uh, high percentage scoring chances. They're having a lot of defensive breakdowns. I mean, pretty much everything is going wrong for this team. And to me, again, that points back at coaching. So it's going to be interesting because the same kind of thing happened last year. And then the team rattled off a 10 game winning streak. I mean, if, if you remember, they were, well, I mean, they lost a number of games in a row last year. And Ron Hextall during that streak kept saying, hey, we're not playing as bad as our record indicates. And sure enough, they went out. Everyone was calling for Hextall to get fired. And then they went out and they reeled off, what, 10 straight wins. So it seems like whenever things are about to hit rock bottom with this team, it turns around. And I almost, like, I'm never rooting against this team, but I almost would like to see what happens if this team mm -hmm. continues playing poorly for the next week or two to see exactly what that would result in Ron Hextall doing. And I think there's a lot of fans out there that feel the same way. You know, it, it's, they feel that Hextall will never actually do anything about Hextall and he will never trade any of his prospects or draft picks. Um, Cause he, you know, loves hoarding his draft picks and holding onto his prospects, but something will have to give if this team keeps playing like this, you know, they've got, they've got a tough game at Boston on Thursday night. Boston's a very good team and the type of team with that Pasternak Bergeron, Brad Marchand line that you make mistakes and they're going to end up in the back in the net. So that's going to be a tough one. But it, again, it seems like this team finds a way when things are at their worst and to come out and play a good game. 
So, you know, we'll see what happens there. They've got Boston and they're home against the Islanders on Saturday. Then they go on a West Coast road swing in Anaheim, at the Kings, at the Sharks, and uh, at Arizona. So that those are the games coming up. But it's um, if, if they go out and they lose their next two or three games, it's going to be very telling to see what actually happens with, with this team. I mean, when you talk about rock bottom, I agree with you that it might actually be somewhat beneficial for this team to finally bottom out because you're right. They, you know, in, in the couple of years past, we've seen them get close. You know, they play terrible. And just when you think they can't play any worse, they pick up their play and the head coach and the general manager say, see, we knew this was a good team. They just hit a, a you know, a bit of a dry spell and, you know, now that now we're getting it turned around. So everything can just stay how it is. And when you, when I think rock bottom, and when I think that that's probably what this team needs to get to before we see anything change, I just think you know when you, when when you have an addict situation, and they always say to cure an addict, they have to hit rock bottom first, and they have to admit they have a problem. So that's what I think it's going to take for the Flyers here. Is the Flyers are going to have to get worse than where they are right now? Like if they lose the next three in a row in the same fashion that they lost against Colorado, then I think Ron Hexel will have to look at this team has hit rock bottom. This team can't go any lower. And I have to admit that I have a problem, and my problem is Dave Hackstall. And again, I don't know who steps in for Dave Hackstall when he inevitably gets fired. Because I think this is the, we, we both agree that, that eventually at some point, whether it's this season, this offseason – Next season, whatever, we know that Dave Axel, or we believe, me and you, we believe that Dave Axel isn't going to be here when this team competes for a Stanley Cup. So eventually, in our minds, he's getting fired. It's just a matter of when. And to go back to what you said about, you know, the quotes of Ron Hextall, just, I and again, I didn't hear the quotes, but just just from you reading it, I can I can sense that there's a certain tone of... Um, very unrest, very much. He's very uneasy with how this team's playing. And in, in years past, when he's addressed the media, uh, when this team's going through their dry spells, you could just kind of, you get the sense that he was just kind of going through the motions, saying what he thought needed to be said to not, you know, to not stir up any, any issues in the media like, oh, Ron Hexall said this. How safe is Dave Hexall's job? But he kind of, just from your tone and reading it, you could kind of get the sense that he's starting to let on a little bit that if things don't change, then he's going to make them. If, if, if this team doesn't pick up their play, if they don't start playing the way he expected them to play, because again, he said all offseason how he expects this season to be a stepping stone for the future. And so far, that is not what this season is going to be. It's more of a step back if they stay on this, on the path that they're on. So I think that finally we're starting to get a little bit of Ron Hextall realizing that this guy that he fell in love with as a coach may not be, you know, he could be he could be a good hockey coach for all I know. I don't know. I've never played college hockey. Obviously I've never played in the pros. I wouldn't know a good coach from a bad hockey coach, but just from Dave Haxall's perspective with this team, whatever he's preaching, whatever he's telling them is not working. 
And I think finally, Dave or um, Ron Hexall starting to see that. And for the first time, he's really letting his feelings known to the public that he sees what's going on. And I, I think that he has his finger on the button and he's just kind of caressing that button and he's waiting for things to really take a turn here. And if they do, if they go out on that West coast trip and they lay an egg, if they just can't get to where if they, if it gets to the point where they're just not even in games, they can't, they they can't even compete with the teams that they're playing against. I think he's going to push that button and he's going to eject this whole thing and bring somebody else in here. And I don't know who that would be, it could be somebody in-house. I don't necessarily think that'd be the best thing in the world, but I, I think it would get to the point where anybody but Dave Haxtall behind the bench, running the practices, implementing the system would be an upgrade. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, let's say that they do hit rock bottom and Haxtall decides he's got to fire Dave Haxtall, which I still don't really think he would do in the middle of the season. But the question is, who who would he bring in? I mean, when you talk about trying to replace a head coach middle of the season, I guess you could bring up the Phantoms head coach, Scott Gordon, and kind of have him as the interim coach and see how things go. But I'm not sure Scott Gordon's ready to be an NHL head coach. I, I'm not sure. I honestly haven't been all that impressed with a lot of the things that happen with the Phantoms. I know some people do like Scott Gordon, but I that would be something I'd be concerned about. But yeah, I don't know who, who the Flyers would bring in to be the head coach midseason, and that's obviously something for Ron Hextall to worry about. But uh, but I, I just have this feeling that the Flyers are going to do what they always do, and they're going to Thursday find a way to beat Boston in Boston mm-hmm. and you know win, win a couple of games that they probably shouldn't win and then win some games on that West Coast road trip. And and then they'll, you know, start playing poorly again. And it, I, I feel like it's not going to get to the point where Hextall is forced to do something, which is why I'm expecting if – I, if I bet sports, I would go out and I'd bet the Flyers against Boston on Thursday just because that seems like what they do to me. Uh, they, you know, they, they win when they're not supposed to win. And, and now when people are kind of even wanting to see them hit rock bottom so we can force a change, it probably won't happen. So let me but, ask you this. Let's say it's that if they if they st- if they do what you just said, if they beat Boston, if they win some games they're not supposed to and pick up their play a little bit, but then I don't know, a few weeks from now falter again. Is that better for this team this season or and going forward to do that? Because I think if they do that and they stay on the trend of last season and the season before, they may squeak into the playoffs. And, you know, who knows what happens then. If you're, I mean, if you're asking me, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but if they make it, probably a first-round exit. So is it better for the Flyers this season and going forward to bottom out now early in the season or to just keep going on that up-and-down track that we've seen them go on before? Yeah, I think it would be better for this organization's long-term viability for – a situation to be created where Ron Hextall needs to do something actively to try and improve this team, whether or not it's making a a, a big trade or firing the head coach. I think that at this point, I would say that, that, that I agree with you that Dave Hextall is not the kind of coach that is going to be a positive difference maker in the playoffs. 
I've said this before. Like, I think any head coach could win a Stanley Cup depending on what the team is. If your team is so much more superior to any other team, you could win a cup. So people always say, well, Hextall couldn't win a cup with the Flyers. I wouldn't go that far. But what I say is that Dave Hextall is is not the head coach who's going to give you an advantage in the playoffs. So if, if you're playing teams that are about your level and they have a better head coach, they're going to have the advantage. And in the NHL, it's very difficult to put together a team that's much better than the competition. So I think that they're going to be at a significant disadvantage with Dave Hextall in the playoffs. And I think it would be better if Hextall is forced to make a change sooner rather than later. So, yeah, I would, I, you know, I think for the betterment of the organization, if they went out and lost their next three games and, and Ron Hextall was forced to do something, that would probably be for the best. Flyers fans are about to be put in a similar situation that Sixers fans were put in like five, six years ago. When, um, and I know, look, for whatever reason, there's a huge division in the city between Flyers and Sixers fans. Very rarely do you get somebody like me that follows closely both of them. But Flyers fans are about to be put in that same situation where they are going to have to start rooting for this team to fail because that's the only way things are going to get better. Just like the Sixers were in a state of just mediocrity and Sam Hinkie came in and said, this is what we have to do to move this team forward. And now five years later, they are, you know, one of the top three best teams in the East. I'm not saying that the Flyers are going to come out and say, oh, we have to start losing for five years. But as far as this season goes, I believe that we are going to have to start saying, you know what? For right now, for like at least the next three weeks, it's better if this team loses. It's better if the bottom falls out of this thing. So it forces Ron Hexall to make a decision and to do something to change this team. If he, because if he gets it now while you're still, you know, in the first month, month and a half of the season, there's plenty of time to turn it around. If you get a guy in here that gets this team believing they can. So as loyal as Flyers fans have been in the past and as rah-rah as a lot of them have been, they have to realize that right now it's probably better if the team just plays this way for the next week. Make this general manager do something. Because yeah, I, I, I was going off about this after the Columbus game. And as much as we love Ron Hexall for what he did as a player, as much as we love Ron Hexall for what he's done for the farm system since he became general manager... I personally feel like he has not done nearly enough to better his NHL roster. Yeah, the prospect pool is deep, and we're all excited, and we're all just sitting here and waiting. But what has he really done to make this NHL roster viable and competitive for playoff runs? Because we've seen the trend since Dave Haxall's taken over. Playoffs the first year, exit in the first round. No playoffs the second year. Playoffs the third year, exit in the first round. And now here we are, year four, and it's the same thing. We are on the same path to either make the playoffs barely and go out in the first round or not make the playoffs at all. So I sit here and I question Ron Hextall because there was a lot of moves that could have been made in this offseason to get this team better than where they were last season. And all he did was bring in James Van Riemsdyk, which I approve. I liked that move. That was a move that it excited me because I saw, okay, yeah, he's moving this thing in the right direction. 
But then as soon as that move was made, he said, no, I'm done. He was he was content with just bringing in one player. He brought in Christian Folin, who was garbage. When he had Phil Myers waiting in the wings that could have been on this roster, and, you know, who knows, with his offensive abilities, could have helped the team. But right now, nobody on the defense is playing good except Radko Gudis. Go figure. So what really, and I'm going to ask you this, what really has Ron Hexall done to make the Philadelphia Flyers roster better to get them to take that step forward? Because he wanted all, all he keeps talking about is taking a step forward. But what did he do really to get this team in position to take that step forward? Because to me, it wasn't enough. He brought in mediocre goalie after mediocre goalie. He brought in one viable piece of NHL talent, and that is James Van Riemsdyk. And other than that, he's piecing it together with guys that really have no business being on the NHL. And here we are, just treading water, waiting for the big wave to take us under, and that be the end of it. So let me ask uh, two questions. What do you grade Ron Hextall? Take out. Take out what he's done with the prospects, because that's obviously an A+. But as far and to me, that's a lot of scouting. That's a lot of just knowing young players. But as far as building an NHL roster, where do you grade him, and do you think he's done enough for this hockey team? Well, first, I, I don't think you can take the prospect side out of the equation because that is part of the, the you know, to borrow the Sixers term, that is part of the process that this organization is going through. And so I think you have to kind of grade them together. So, But I would say even if you include the prospects, I'd probably give Hextall, I'd probably give him a B minus right now, maybe even lower to a C plus and it would have been a lot higher in you know years past because what's happening is we are now heading into the stage of this franchise where it is expected that they're going to take the next step last year we knew they'd be a borderline playoff team and they made the playoffs they were inconsistent during the regular season but they made the playoffs and that was good this year we had these much higher expectations I, I think that, you know, you mentioned it. Look, he signed the second biggest free agent um, in the offseason with Van Riemsdyk. That, there's a lot to be said for that. He signed the guy to a five-year, $35 million contract, and he was arguably the best goal scorer available in free agency. He didn't do anything to address the 3C hole that this – franchise had or kind of like one of the a second pair defenseman hole but some of the he's he's done some very good things i mean he i think the contract that he signed shane gostas bear to was very good i still think that the Braden shen trade uh is one that helps this organization because you know they got morgan frost and joel farabee from it i think that both those guys are probably going to turn into pretty good nhl players and i still don't think that Braden Shen is going to be a part. I, I, don't, I can't see Braden Shen as being a first-line player on a, a very good NHL team. And that's basically the Blues have got him on the first or second line. And I think the Flyers were just going to have better options for the, for the first or second line. Um, you know, but to me, Hextall is – you still have to give him the, a, a reasonable grade because of the prospects – 
But this is the year where all of that could really change. And he's got a lot. He's got to sign Ivor Provorov. He's got to sign Oscar Lindblom or um, Travis, Travis Konechny, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim are three guys that he's going to have to sign in the offseason. You know, my issue is, so right now the Flyers have got, you know, almost $10 million in cap space. So the expectation for me was that this team was going to come into the season, play very well, and then Hextall was going to use that money at the trade deadline or before to add a player on an expiring contract. So, you know, he could uh, eat up that cap space for this season and not have it hanging over their heads in the offseason, maybe, you know, a goalie or a, or a position player. And But it's not going to matter if this team, you know, keeps performing like this. So, you know, again, I mean, I, I still think we've, we're going to find out a lot more about Hextall this season in terms of what that rate is. To me, this really is the first season that I had very high expectations coming into the season. But, again, the problem is goaltending. Like, they don't have a legitimate NHL goaltender. Carter Hart has been really struggling in the AHL, so any ideas of bringing him up are thrown out the window. I mean, he's been... Quite frankly, he's been really bad in the AHL, and that's a little bit troubling. It's early on, so it's not that troubling, but it's a little bit troubling. Um, you know, I think what I want to get into a little bit, because everyone is just so fed up with Dave Haxtell, is I want to get into a couple of the biggest issues I've had with Dave Haxtell so far this season, and specific lineup decisions that just proved to me that this guy just has no clue what he's doing. So I want to, I want to talk about three, three, three things that he's done so far this season. And I just want to rant about it a little bit. The first is, as you mentioned, the most valuable defenseman so far to this team has been Radko Gudis. He's, he's been the most consistent defenseman on the team. He's played very well defensively. He's chipped in with like five or six assists. It's been a very good season for Radko Gudis. Inexplicably, in I think the second game of the season, the Flyers sat him. That was the uh, the game against the Avalanche. Radko Gudis sat for Christian Folin. And this is in the midst of Andrew McDonald still injured, playing horribly. And they somehow decide, Haxtell decides to take Gudis out of the lineup for Christian Folin, who is a disaster in that game that they lost 5-2 against the Avalanche. What is he? I don't under, I, I, I literally have no idea what he's doing. Why do you not take McDonald out of the lineup or someone else? You have to take the guy who might have been their best defenseman in the first game and has now been the best defenseman so far this season. So he, he takes Gudis out of the lineup. I mean, that, totally idiotic. Now what he's doing with Travis Konechny is driving me crazy because we talked about this last year. Travis Konechny, when they put him on the top line with Couturier and Giroux last year, he played far and away the best hockey of his career. He looked like a guy who could be a freaking point-a-game type of player. And then the playoffs roll around last year, and he he moves Konechny off the first line, puts Michael Roffel on the first line, and moves Konechny down to the third line. This year, he started Konechny out on the first line, but then he moves him down the lineup again. He's been playing on the third line for the past few games. It looks like finally, after Wayne Simmons did nothing on the top line with the uh, in the Avalanche game, 
on Monday. It looks like Konechny is now back on the top line based on practice today. But, like, what is this guy doing? Like, Travis Konechny is a very good player. And you're just you're playing him for 12 minutes a game. It's 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 completely moronic. Um, and just shows that, that, again, he has no idea what he's doing. Because he is – Konechny is right now arguably the most – explosive offensive player on the team. So, you know, uh, I don't know what he's doing there. It's just insane. And then the other thing that just drives me crazy is this treatment of Mikhail Vorobiev. And this has been a big subject on Twitter for Flyers fans over the last week. But here's what really bothers me about what they've done with Mikhail Vorobiev. So Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall make a huge deal about how in training camp, for a rookie to make the team, they just have to really go out and grab that spot and prove that they've got what it takes to beat out these NHL veterans. And you really have to do that. And once you've done that, you're on the team. So Mikhail Vorobiev has a phenomenal training camp. He was one of the Flyers' best players. They're raving about all camp. He makes the team. And he plays. he played okay in his first few games. And then he struggled in his next few games for about a week and they take him out of the lineup after like five or six games in the lineup. Vorobiev comes out of the lineup and he hasn't played in the last three games. Mm-hmm. Instead, they've got, you know, Yori Laterra, Corbin Knight. These got Dale Weiss playing on the fourth line. Jordan wheel took Vorobiev's spot on the third line. And it's just insane to me that this is what you do with young players, because this happened with Travis Sanheim last year where Sanheim, and Sandheim was playing very well. So no idea why uh, Hackstall took him out of the lineup last year. It took him a long time to get back in the lineup. This year, Sandheim has been one of the best defensemen on the team and uh, was really the only low break spot in the Avalanche game. But what they're doing with Roby, yeah, he's, he didn't play that well. You've got to let these young guys work through it. And part of the issue is that for whatever reason, and this is one of my biggest issues with Dave Hackstall, I'm telling you, you could give him an all-star team with 12 unbelievable forwards, and his fourth line would be Yori Laterra, Dale Weiss, and Corbin Knight. <laughs> like, he refuses oh, he refuses to have a fourth line composed of players that can actually score goals. He needs to have these, like, defensive specialists. I think I'm going to tweet that out right now. But, you know, you could give Hackstall a line of, you know, the 12 best forwards in the world, and he would still have Yuri Laterra centering the fourth line mm-hmm. because he's incapable of putting out a fourth line that can actually score. And the Flyers have so many young forward prospects coming up the ranks that he's going to have to get over that, and he's going to have to be able to put actual good hockey players on the fourth line. So anyway, so those, you know, Gudis, scratching, um, the Vrobiev situation, Konechny on the third line, all these things, just, it's mind-boggling the decisions that this guy makes. I I, I literally could not agree with you more on um, the Mikhail Vrobiev situation. I, I, say, I tweeted this out maybe last week. I think it was after the, after the Columbus game. I was going, I was firing things off Twitter left and right, and... I was I was furious after the game. It affected me the next day, all day, and I I I, I completely agree with you that he is too quick 
to yank these players out of the lineup when they are in their first year and learning how to play the game at this level. You have look, when you when you put a rookie on your roster, you have to expect that there's going to be growing pains. You have to understand that you that these guys are learning on the job. You're they're not Mario Lemieux as soon as they step into the league. You have to just expect there you have to expect those growing pains and he whether he doesn't expect it or whether he is just so his anxiety is thrown so through the roof by it, I don't understand. But there, right now, Mikhail Vorobiev being on this roster and not playing in games is helping no one, especially the player, because all he's doing is just lowering his confidence day by day, game by game when he's not in the lineup, when he's just, and he's eventually, it's human nature. You're going to start to think, well, maybe I don't belong up here. And then when eventually another injury happens and you have to put him in the lineup, he's going to play even worse because he's going to be so thrown off and he hasn't been, he hasn't played in three games. So now he has to readjust to the speed of a game and not practice. That's number one. Number two, I believe in my heart of hearts that Travis Connecting absolutely hates this head coach. I, uh, from all the things we see, you know, in the offseason, they had the nice, you know, biography type piece on Travis Connecting. Seems like a cool, laid back guy, likes to have fun. Everyone's all, you know, excited on Twitter about the bromance between him and Nolan Patrick. Oh, it's so cute. It's so adorable. But I can't believe. And, and if Travis Connecting stood in front of me and told me to my face that he likes his head coach, I wouldn't believe him. Because the way that he treats him, the as poorly as he treats him, as much disrespect as Dave Haxtall gives Travis Connecting's skill as a hockey player, there's no way on this planet that Travis Konechny could have can have respect for his head coach and believe in his abilities to coach this team to win games. So you, my friend, are a thousand percent right. And I want to actually quote a tweet from you last night. Because again, it makes a lot of sense and it brings this whole thing together. You said the Colorado Avalanche were a very bad hockey team in 2014-15 and 2015-16. But they've flown past the Flyers and I can't help but wonder if it's partly because of the young kids, McKinnon, Rantanen, Gerard, Zadurov, and Yost. Is that right? Yeah, Tyson Yost. Yeah, have been allowed to make mistakes without fear of benching. And it's it's the only thing that makes sense of why these young players that we have with all the skill that we keep saying this team has hasn't been able to take their game to the next level, and it all goes back to the coach. Dan, essentially what we've done for like the last hour is rip apart this head coach, and you know what? I'm still angry about it. But we got to get to some questions. At we some do. Too. We we have to. We got some great questions on Twitter, as we always do from the listeners of this podcast. So I'll kick it over to you. Whichever one you want to go to first. I guess we'll just go in order. Yeah, I'm just gonna go down the list on how they appear on my thread. We'll get to all of them here. So the first one, I really like this question. This was from Gene at EJC Hockey Eight. If you could ask Hextall one question. And he had to answer completely honestly, what would it be? I'm thinking Gene's saying we're going to inject him with like a truth serum or something. God, I wish. And he's got to answer it correctly. So what, what, what do you think? What would you, what would you ask him? Oh God, where do I begin? Um, well, look, the first thing on everybody's mind is the head coach. I mean, that's all we've talked about. That's all anybody talks about. So if I could, you know, 
stick him in the neck with a syringe with some true serum and push the plunger down. As soon as it hit his bloodstream and, you know, it takes effect, I would say, Dave, or I would say, Ron, do you believe that this is the right head coach for your hockey team? And do you believe that he's going to win you a Stanley Cup? And if the answer is no, the next question is, then why is he still here? I think that's the most obvious one. If you could ask him anything, you would. I, I would know. I would want to. I'm sure a lot of other people would want to know what his true feelings are about this head coach. Yeah, you took you took my question right there. If I could ask Hextel one question and he had to answer honestly, I would ask him. I would ask him what he truly thinks about Dave Hextel and whether or not he believes that he's the head coach to lead this team to a Stanley Cup. Well, I actually yeah. have one more. Another Bigger, one for Hextel. Okay, this would be fun. Bigger thrill for you as a player, scoring a goal or attacking Chris Chelios? <laughs> I would. Yeah, that would be good. I think he'd say, uh, I don't know what he'd say. Who knows? Yeah, but, but that's pretty good. All right. Um, all right. So our good buddy, Mike Asito at M Def and taxes. He's actually been on the show before. Asks, do you think Hextall is satisfied with where the team is right now? If so, why? If not, what do you see him doing if anything from a gm position to make a change the team has a lot of problems which ones do you think can realistically be addressed this season and which ones will take yet another offseason to address so i mean i think that that as we heard from hextel i i don't think he's satisfied with the team probably because of their poor play of late and their inconsistency um I, I think that I do think at some point this season he's going to make a trade. He's got all that cap space. I don't know what he's going to do. I would still like to see him go after Sergei Bobrovsky. If they keep playing like crap and the goaltending continues to, to perform poorly, I'd like to see him maybe overpay for a guy like Bobrovsky, but I don't know if he'll do that or not. Um, and yeah. so that's – I think that goaltending could be addressed this season. I, I I still am not convinced he'd fire Hackstall midseason. I feel like that's more of an off-season thing, but uh, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, do I think he's satisfied? Well, no. I mean, he pretty much basically said that today in his um, you know, in his comments. I I mean, I don't know. At this point, I really don't know what he can change. Outside of a big trade, look, obviously I know what he can change. He can make a trade. He could get rid of the head coach. I don't know how willing he is to at this point because it's still early in the season, and I I think that might be how he looks at it, that, you know, if this was, let's say, December, and they hit this lull for a few weeks and they're – starting to crash, that maybe he would be more likely to make a trade, put a spark in the team. At that point in December, you're not firing the head coach. So at this point in the season, as early as it is, what he could do is, I mean, because you're talking about if you're making a trade, what are you going to get rid of? Are you making a trade that shakes up the core? Like, are you getting rid of a Wayne Simmons? Or are you trading picks and prospects to bring in, you know, uh, a, an upper end player that can put a put a, put a spark into this team. Um, you mentioned the money that they have, so yeah, I mean you could you could see that happening. Bobrovsky, we've talked about that time and time again. It's a possibility, um, but I just to go back to what I said earlier, I don't think he's going to do anything 
until he absolutely has to. And I think with the stretch of games they have coming up, if it gets as bad as it's been, if it gets worse than it's been, you know, he may make a move. I think the obvious move is to fire the coach first before you address player personnel because there's a lot more moving parts in that. So I think right now he's not happy with the position of the team, but he's not yet ready to make any shakeups to how things, you know, to how things are currently structured. Yep. Uh, let's see. Next question. Tom Sloan at Tom underscore Sloan asks, is hack grasping for a solution with usage after Columbus? He says, Sandheim and Gudis were playing their best, but didn't warrant increased rules. So naturally in next game, Gudis had his least time on ice for the season. And then versus the abs, uh, or Sandheim rather then versus the abs, Sandheim gets most of his season. I think, uh, yeah, it seems to it. It does. It, that's one of my issues with Hackstall. Is it, it never seems like he has a full, confident grasp of how best to use his personnel. And Sanheim and, and Gudis has been far and away the best defensive pairing for this team all season. And yeah, that was one other strange quote he had was I forget which game it was after. Right, I guess it was the Columbus game. He said they were playing well, but didn't warrant an increased role. That's exactly when they do warrant an increased role, especially when you've got freaking, you know, well, he broke up Provorov and, and ghost. So, you know, you've got Haig and Provorov and, and freaking Folan and ghost together. And so I, it's tough with those pairings because who are you, you know, you want to give Provorov and ghost a lot of time. So I still think you got to go back to pairing those two together. And then you can give Gudis and Sandheim the second most minutes. Maybe you only go two two defensive pairs a game. I don't know, you know, whatever. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't think Hackstall has any clue with his usage. And to me, one of the signs of a bad head coach is a guy who just keeps changing the lines around to try and figure out what the problem is. Like I get it if if there's a line that's not working and you put a new one together and it works, keep it together. Like don't you keep shuffling lines and the players can't get comfortable with their line mates. It's, it's not a good situation. No, it's not. And at this point, when some of the quotes Dave Axel is saying makes me just laugh. I mean, when you say that guys are playing well, but that doesn't warrant them getting more playing time. I mean, what do you say back to that? I don't even know what the follow-up question is other than why. If you're like, if you're the reporter in the room and he says that, other than just saying why, like, how does that make sense? So, you pretty much hit, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, his his selections of players, his uses of players are, are, are garbage. I think maybe he's feeling the heat a little bit and he's trying to just do whatever he can to put a spark. But, I mean... It, He's he's made so many questionable decisions that I just I don't get it anymore. And I'm you'll lose your mind trying to figure it out. And you, look, none of us get paid enough by anybody to figure out the problems of the Flyers. But um, <laughs> I'll introduce the next question because I liked yeah. what he said was hilarious the way he worded it. Um, Kevin Benner at Kevin E R E Z R Q says, what is the fix for the PK? The Flyers have been eating dinner on a table with a broken leg for a few years now. Isn't it time for a new table? That, yeah. I mean, look, the Flyers, they're still, what are they? I think I saw they're like 26th in the league or something in penalty kill. 
that was something that we all wanted them to address coming into the season because of how terrible it was last season. And for, you know, the first couple games, it looked okay, but then it's just gotten progressively worse and worse as these games have gone on. So what is the fix for the PK? I don't know. You know, maybe you change up your strategy on the penalty kill. Uh, to me, I think they're a little too passive on the PK. They just kind of, you know, sit back and wait for the puck to come to them. You know, they could be stand to be a little bit more aggressive, get their sticks in the passing lane, break, break up some plays. Um, I just don't think that they're really, again, we'll go back to coaching. I don't think they're coached that well on the penalty kill. I think they do too much of following the puck, and nobody pays attention to the man behind them. How many times have we seen everybody flock to the puck on one side of the net, and then the puck comes, the puck comes to the guy on the back door, and he slams it into a wide open net? And part of that's goaltending. Not you know, we have an old injured goalie who can't go post to post as well as he could, and part of that is the defenseman on that side of the net shouldn't be following the puck. He should be making sure his guy is covered. So, you know, again, what fixes it? Better coaching fixes it. Maybe a, a change in scheme. That's the only thing I could think of, but I, I, it literally can't get any worse than it is right now. I think they just have to get rid of LePerriere. I mean, what, yeah. how long are you going to keep this guy around? The, the penalty killing has been horrible for the for the last few years, and there doesn't seem to be any fixes there. You can't have any confidence that Hackstall is going to like hit on the right uh, combination of players to be on the penalty kill. No. I mean, before the season started, they said we might get to see Konechny on the penalty kill. That hasn't really happened. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I You could put Drew and, and, and Scott Lawton, you know, out there. And uh, Lawton's been one of the, the few pleasant surprises for the team this season, which Ron Hextall pointed out in his quote today. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think you just need to get rid of LaPerriere and 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 maybe it'll take getting rid of Hackstall too before you could fix this Flyers penalty kill. I mean, it's like you said, there's just too many guys wide open in front of the net. Didn't you know that Ian LaPerriere took a puck to the face in a playoff game? How do you get rid of a guy yeah, like that? I know. Yeah, that's that's Flyers logic. Ridiculous. All right, I think is that actually no, there's another couple, one. Yeah, there's a couple more actually. So there are some retweeted it with a question and but so before we get to that so our buddy uh uh flyers rob as he wants to be called uh robert and wilson the third at naa robert wilson or aka flyers rob ask he's got a bunch of goalie questions when all six goalies are healthy what is your prediction on what will happen i don't want six goalies one old one future one pack up and three injury prone at the risk of sounding old and cranky why the hell can't this team get goaltending right yeah, that's I mean, the that's, golden question. The golden question is the goaltending. Brian Elliott, I actually saw a, a, a chart today. I think it was um, maybe a Corey Schneider chart that showed that the, that Elliott actually has not been that bad this season. I I think that uh, he has been pretty bad, but maybe there are some games where he's been okay. In any event, I think that... Elliot and Neuwirth are still the two preferred goalies for this team, and Neuwirth is going to be ready to play soon. So hopefully he'll be able to stay healthy. They, you know, they they claimed Calvin Pickard. I I don't really like him at all. He has not been impressive at all. He was horrible um, in the game against Columbus. Just gave up some of the worst goals I've ever seen. So 
I would say hopefully Neuwirth comes back and can stay healthy. We know that's probably not going to happen. The guy that I actually would like to see is Anthony Stolarz because I always thought that he had some talent. I think he's more talented than Alex Lyon. So if Stolarz can can string some good games together for the Phantoms, I would like to see him up. One of the biggest problems is they've now got three goalies on the Phantoms, so it's a three-goalie rotation. And, you know, the goalies aren't getting as much practice work, which is a bad situation. So, you know, I, I don't know. No one really has the answer. I wonder if that ties in, and it probably does a bit, you know, the goalie situation with the Phantoms, if that potentially ties into Carter Hart not playing well. Because this is, if all, with all the stock that we as fans emotionally have invested into Carter Hart, to hear that he has been playing that bad with the Phantoms is like literally the most troubling news that I could possibly think of. And I mean, the, that's look, if you have the answer to why the hell the Flyers can't get goaltending right, then you must also possess the lottery numbers for this billion dollar jackpot because it's look, we're going on decades now with this franchise not being able to figure out the goaltending situation. So maybe They've gotten to the point now where we where they're just like, hey, we will just employ as many goalies as we possibly can and just try to ride a couple hot streaks because that's the only thing I can think of. When you're carrying six goalies on your roster at any one point, that's incredible to me. And th- look, you'd think like between six players, one of them would be a difference maker, but none of them are. Not one is. They all have glaring issues on why they are not viable options for a starting goaltender in this league. They are all backups and NHL pl- and AHL players. So that's why they that's why they can't get it right because I guess they can't evaluate talent at goal t- at the goaltending position. And if Carter Hart, if he, if he. Uh, like, I'm losing my mind already. If he if he doesn't play better, if he doesn't turn into what we thought he was, then I give up. I really do. I don't know what you do after that. I really don't. But they have so many prospects, goalies, too, that we'll just wait around for them. We'll get excited about them and see what happens with them. It's all a big waiting game with this team. I'm, I'm going out of my mind here. I can tell. I can tell. Have faith in Felix Sandstrom. I still have a feeling he may end up being this this organization's goalie, but we'll, we'll right, see. Well, yeah. He's having a really good season over in Sweden, and he's a year older than Carter Hart, so he'll he'll be in North America next year, and he may actually be better prepared than Carter Hart to play in the NHL. But anyway, we'll see about that. Yeah. So there's one other question which came in. It was uh, from Ben Wegraff at W-E-A-G-Z, and he so he gets right to the point. He says, has Hack lost the room? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Uh, all I can base my opinions on are what I've seen from this team. And the way that this hockey team plays and has played for the last few years, I don't think that Dave Hackstall, whatever he's saying, I for whatever reason, I don't really think it's getting through to these players. So, you know, I don't know if he's – quote-unquote, lost the room, but I, I don't think that he has control of the room. Um, I mean, has he ever had the room to begin with? I mean, when have they ever really played all that great under this coach to say that he had, he had a command of the locker room? Maybe his first year, but, I mean, has he lost the room? I would say probably. If they're playing as bad as they are, if they're, 
you know, as lackluster as they are at pretty much every aspect of the game, yeah, I would say that they're probably just tuning this guy out. I go back to Travis connecting. I don't think, I think a lot of the players probably just don't like him. I don't think they agree with a lot of the decisions he makes. I think they are smart people. They have been playing the game long enough. They know what a good hockey decision looks like. And Dave Haxall doesn't make them nine times out of 10. So I, yeah, I, 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 if you're asking me, I think he's long lost this room and if I think it's going to keep up, I, I don't, I think they're just out there pretty much coaching themselves because I, I can't imagine that they have res- much respect for their head coach right now, and that is a huge problem, not just in hockey, but in any sport. If the players don't respect the coach, then you're not going to succeed as a team. Can't disagree. Yep. So I think that was all the questions we had. Thank God. This, is, this has been exhausting. It really has. These nine games have been exhausting following this team. What's most... What pisses me off the most, um, it's that the most exciting part of this team is the friggin' mascot. That's that's it's embarrassing. I know people love gritty. They love hey yeah he's he's big orange and stupid and lovable. No, the fact that the mascot is the face of the team this year. Every time you see the Flyers mentioned on Twitter, it's the mascot. That that, that that right there tells you that you don't have a good hockey team on your hands. I want to see less gritty and more players doing good things. Tired of gritty already. All right. Well, I have to, I'm going to have to breathe and get this thing, get my life back under control when it comes to sports. So I think it's good place to wrap it up, Dan. If you would, if you would please give your shameless plug of the week. My shameless plug of the week. So you can follow me on Twitter at dsilver88, 88 for Eric Lindros, mm-hmm. and check out our articles over at www.phileasflyer.com. We've got uh, a lot of great content over there. You can read my latest. Uh, prospect updates and my state of the flyers which was before the season and was you know would probably be a lot more pessimistic now uh, and then we've got a lot of uh, post-game um, reports coming out after every game so you can check that out as well wonderful um, one final thought I go away with is I've realized this today when I think of how excited we all were at the beginning of the season and how excited we always are at the beginning of every season, I realize the Flyers are that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that when you break up, you give it some time, you realize, hey, maybe things weren't all that bad. We should get back together. I really love that person. Then you get back together and you realize why you hated them to begin with. The Flyers Great the, analogy. The Flyers are the on-again, off-again X that you can't shake and you will keep going back to every time. So thank you for that, Flyers. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at MarkFlagman2Ns. Follow this show at underscore getting bullied. For all episodes, you can check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. And to reiterate, yes, check out phillyisflyer.com for all their wonderful content. And check out the podcast tab where the player is right there. You can listen to every episode from the beginning till this one. So until next week, hopefully it is a much more positive week of Flyers hockey ahead of us. But we will see. Until then, let's go Flyers. Good night, Sweden.